Today's phone call, well, first off, for those who aren't here today and are hearing us out in the great unwashed world of Podcastville, I'm Blake Roberts, and I'm here with my uh, partner in crime today, Ellis Posner. Ellis, say hello. Hello, Ellis. Hello, Ellis. Today's podcast topic is teams, memes, and things that make money. And let's just do our definitions quickly. Teams are all the rage right now. Everyone's got a team going. We'll talk about the value of teaming up. A meme. For those who don't know what a meme is, a meme um, is are things that happen seemingly simultaneously. So, for example, if you look at real estate, the big words we see all the time are, and now let's kick in a word if you think of one, lifestyle and top luxury. producer, luxury. Disruption. That's right. Uh, these words kick in and you, you suddenly see everybody using them. And part of that is people copying other people. But the meme component is people just happen to have the same idea at roughly the same time. And they, they do it at a, in a similar way at the same time, same idea, and they kind of populate um, marketing very quickly. So when I say a meme, that's more or less what it's about. And memes can be you know, as simple as... Um, Again, a word or, a, or an idea or a color, but they're, they're a trend that kicks in very loud and, and very um, everywhere suddenly. And you think to yourself, well, that was my idea. Now everyone's doing it. Maybe they copied me. The odds are that it just happened to be a common idea. And then, of course, we well, always... Let me look, quickly look up the definition. It says, an element of a culture or system of behavior that may be considered to be passed from one individual to another by non-genetic means... Especially imitation. <laughs> what, is not, what is a non-genetic meme? Well, genetic it, hearing. You know, you're not telling somebody, oh, I hey, see, I, see. I have this idea. And then they, uh, an idea, behavior, or style. And then uh, they also further go on to say, a humorous uh, image, video, piece of text that is often copied with slight variation and spread rapidly by internet users. So, but the original definition is exactly what you said. Right. And, you know, to this point, Ellis and I have done a few things uh, in recent months and then within about nine or ten days, we see some of our competitors doing the exact same thing. Right. And the question is, did they listen to our podcast? Or, again, was it just topical? Or do I just have a big mouth and say the same things to everyone? Well, that's, that's potentially what it is. Well, there is also a phenomenon, which is when you uh, start to focus on something, you, you notice it more. So if you're thinking of buying uh, a red car, all of a sudden everyone driving down the street seems to have a red car. It's funny you say that. Dan and I are we're thinking of buying a red car. We've passed that phase. Yeah. The amount of red cars in the model she wanted you see yeah. is astronomical. Yeah. You go to the dealer and you say, hey, I want that car in red. They say, oh, no, that's the hardest car to find. Yeah. But you just saw 40 of them on the way to the dealership. Right, right. Well, whatever car you say is the hardest one to find. Right. But, but, you know, or other, you know, like let's say when you get your real estate license, all of a sudden, you realize that everyone else in the world has a real estate license. Which is true. Which is true. Okay, right. not a good example, but you know what I'm saying. Not a good example at all, yeah. but a good example because um, we'll come to that later. So let's, let's get things going here. We have this idea that we're talking about, which are teams. Mm -hmm. And the team component came to Ellis and I because we've decided to start an effort together. And we're calling ourselves Blake and Ellis. And we did that just because it's alphabetical. Um, but we're doing something together for two reasons, three reasons probably. We enjoy working together. Yes. We want to cut the cost of what we're going to do, and it's a way to share the cost. Yes. And the third is we're sharing the workload. So yes. we're calling this a hobby. 
And the idea of a hobby is it's not my full-time job, right? Yeah, yeah. And For now. Well, I look at it as sort of when I was in the tech industry and there were so-called incubators. Right. So let's say, so we may do whatever it is we're working on together and maybe it works out great, maybe it doesn't, but we will come up with other ideas that we could use individually, we can use together, right. and we can share with the people you know, at peer-to-peer about things that can help build their business. Right. So in that regard, that's what we mean by hobby. You know, it's just... Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of stuff we would probably do anyway if we're not getting paid. Right, but the, the goal is that your primary business doesn't get impacted by the hobby. Right. The right. hobby is something you do, and if you get great at it, then you, you explore it further. But, you know, our, our estimated cost, and I'm, it's a rough number, is let's say it's, it's fifteen to 20000 for a year of hobby. Oh, hobby, yeah. <laughs> so on my own, that's a pretty hard hit. Right. But by splitting it, you know, if it doesn't work out and I'm out 7000 or some $8,000, I'm okay. Well, I will tell you that in the little bit we've done so far, I feel I've already have some things that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So Okay, because, because it's a team effort. Well, it's a team effort, and it's also evolving, and I believe the single biggest mistake most agents make is not doing something different, trying something different, and moving forward. So the example I gave you, my father always used to say this. He was a pretty successful businessman. He used to always say, you can't do in business today what you did yesterday and be in business tomorrow, which is a great saying. Right. And that doesn't mean you try something different every day, but you really have to look around and um, you know, say, what, what do I need to do different? How can I improve? How can I advance? So you know, an example, and for some of the old timers, this will make more sense, you know, we used to, back 15, 20 years ago, when we were at Shorewood Realtors starting out, on Thursday, the Beach Reporter came out, and a lot of calls would come into the office, and everyone wanted to have what we called floor time. Well, if someone was still sitting in your brokerage waiting for calls to come into them, how successful would you expect them to be? Zero. There, there, well, there was, there's one agent. I know exactly was, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. There was a gal at Shorewood who, that's all she did, and she was making a half million easy. But what is she making now? Time. She's still doing well. Okay. Well, she probably kept in touch with those clients. She did. She but did. if someone, if, if that was someone's strategy today, they would fail miserably. Yes. And yet I see every day that's one of the biggest mistakes agents make. Not floor time, but they're doing something that somewhere along the line someone told them is a good thing to do. And they're comfortable doing it. Whether money's coming in, hopefully. Say what? And there's money coming in supporting what they're doing. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but they continue to do it, which right. is a whole other discussion. So it might be it might be door knocking, it might be open houses, it might right. be cold calling. But, you know, I study this stuff a lot. Right. And I, I follow what all the coaches and people in the industry say, and I you know spend a lot of time during the week researching different metrics. Right. Because that's another one of my hobbies. And what I can tell wait, you... Wait, wait, let's take a step back. We often, when I say we, Diana and myself, as the brokers at peer-to-peer are asked, are told, actually, by people who work for us, usually, uh, we need you to give us numbers, and we need you to give us stats of the market, we need you to give us information so we can do our jobs better. Do you think that's the broker's job? No. Let's talk I, about that briefly. I, yeah, I, I think... Because you, the reason well, I... Well, I, mean, I, I give a, qua- a, a qualified okay. no. I believe... The, the brokerages in 2018 should be supplying, providing the framework, okay. the framework within which people can be successful. But you right. can't do it for someone. 
And I think, so within that framework is, if you want this kind of data, here is how you find it. Here's our tools. Here's some external tools. Great point. Here's some tools from the MLS. But you need to go research the data you want. So we can, because we, we it, provide a map of where you need to go to yeah, get to where yeah, you want to get to, but yeah. I don't provide the numbers. So a great example is yeah. part of the value you add, Ellis Posner as an agent, when you meet somebody, they can ask you questions about real estate, the local market, and ad nauseum, you're able to go off and tell them detailed information. Usually about the ad nauseum, yeah. The, but that's because that's your expertise. On the markets I work in. Right. So, for example, if you're working in a specific market, and this goes back to farming and a whole other number of issues, you know, if you're talking about North Redondo Beach, usually you can wake me up in the middle of the night and I can kind of tell you what's going on there. Right. Now, I could not do that for Manhattan Beach. I do not work Manhattan Beach. Right. You know, but the markets I work, which are, you know, a couple of the Silicon Beach neighborhoods and, you know, Redondo Beach, North and South and parts of Formosa, I know what's going on. Right. And, and that's it. I know I make it my business to know what's going so on. So that's, that's that. the key here. I make it my business. So that let's, is let's one of the, that. That is one of the added values. And you need to, you need to be, everyone needs to be armed with that information because you're meeting buyers or sellers who think they know more than we do. Right. And... You know, and they it, might with some agents. They might with some agents. And the analogy, you guys have probably heard me say this before, is if you had a stomach ache, you wouldn't go to WebMD and you know diagnose yourself and grab the steak knife and cut you know cut yourself right. open. But people do that in real estate all the time. So we meet people all the time, and the, the one is comps. Every buyer and seller thinks they know the comps, and right. I tell them, listen, you and I, both the buyers and sellers, and us as licensed realtors, we can look at data and come to some conclusion about comparable sales but no one in this group except for diana who is a licensed appraiser right has the skill set and the knowledge and the training to know what adjustments to make to those so-called sales comparables to come to a determination of value well, yes everyone in right. the public thinks that they know and it's kind of funny if well, wait, wait, hold on. Let's use an example. Yeah. If you are buying a view townhome in Manhattan Beach, yeah. people call it the million, the million dollar view. Yeah. From an appraiser standpoint, that view might be worth seventy five thousand dollars. I was gonna say fifty. Yeah. Maybe fifty. It's, yeah. it's yeah. not what people think. And yeah. the problem with that is the average buyer thinks million dollar view. Right. Average seller right. thinks million dollar view. Two million. Bank, two yeah. million dollar view. Bank yeah. says no. Yeah. From a from a mathematical standpoint, that added value to that property. Mm-hmm. 50,000, 100,000. Possibly, but, yeah. so I want to bring this back around. So the point we're making right now is your job as a realtor mm -hmm. is to have the expertise in your category, in your markets. That's what you do. Like a doctor, if you're an ear, nose, and throat doctor, That's you, what know you know everything you know about ear, nose, and throat. And you might know where someone's foot is, and if it's broken, you might but be you're able to... you're going to refer out. You're going to refer it out, yeah. So, um, yeah. Let's kind of like circle back a little bit. Uh to the, uh, this thing about the memes. Okay. Okay, because I think that's really important. I mean, you see a lot today of everyone, this, every brokerage on the West Side is the largest luxury brokerage in California. Right. It's like, and this is, this is, and it's become to the point where the word luxury is so overused as to be meaningless. Right. And uh, some of you may have put out, see, I put out a little uh, video on my social media about that. But, um, the then a lot of people start to replace luxury with lifestyle. lifestyle. So lifestyle and is now the word lifestyle everybody is, is using. Now, now it's all lifestyle. And 
you know, it's easy to get caught up in, in this, but truthfully, what most people want is just to buy or sell a house. <laughs> well, you know, and right. but depending on what side of that, that coin you're on, right? How you present yourself as an agent and how you market that property makes a difference. If you're Absolutely. just if you're just copying or memeing, we'll call it, off every other agent, and what you provide is identical to every other agent, you're not really adding value. That's right. You're putting the house in the market should you have a listing. And you're going home and you're waiting for that phone to ring. And you stare at the phone and you're begging, please ring, please ring. Well, the truth is, for all of this talk about marketing, luxury, and lifestyle properties, everyone just does the same thing they always did. Right. Which is, they put a sign in the yard, they have a broker's open, they take some pictures, some of which look better than others, they might do a video, they might do a Matterport, and they wait for a buyer to come along. But... Um, among the many disruptions, we're talking about themes and memes, I think we're going to see in the industry is the, I think we're going to start to see in the next three to five years, the demise of the MLSs because, because, because I think they've outlived their usefulness. And, you know, it's not the people who are looking for many properties, the idea, and this has become totally overweighted on the one side of the equation that agents today expect their clients to go out and search for stuff and then when they find something they go well hey Blake what about that one what do you think when I was walking into the office right now I just got a call someone called me about a listing that was absolutely not mine and you know it took me a couple of seconds to, to remember which one it was I've not advertised it I'm not doing any paid advertising right now on you know Zillow or any of the other websites as to why they would call me is totally beyond me and then I said well you know yeah you know it's just yeah, I think it's still available, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she says to me, I'll have my agent call you. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I mean, how, how messed up is this? Someone calling me about a property that's not my listing, I'm not right. advertising anywhere. And that's the norm, Ellis. You, come it, on, it, you know that happens. It's, um, and then they say, you know, they'll have their agent call me. I don't mind the part about the agent call me, but it's like, this is how confused the public is. Right. And, you know, I was shocked. I was doing open house. I shouldn't be shocked anymore, uh, three weeks out of the last four, uh, my listing in Hollywood. And, you know, most of the people that come in, right. whether they're trying to get me out of their face or not, they say they have an agent. And I don't know about you, Blake, but I do not send my buyers to open houses on my own. Not because it horrifies I'm, me Not because I'm afraid someone is going to try to steal them, which of course will happen. Right. But because they don't know what they're looking at. Well, that, how am I adding right. value so we, we've unless talked I about go this before. with it? Yeah. For my business, and I can't talk for everybody, Diana does an amazing job of hearing what the client wants much better than I do, mm-hmm. and she will guide them to the right property. And right. it's never the property that they would choose on their own. That's right. She opens their eyes up. So when we go to an open house left to their own devices, open, or just a, if we're showing a property, Diana walking someone through the house will show them points of the, ho- the house they may not see. Mm-hmm. Your job is That's a sales go, person. That's why you go, is exactly. to show them points of the house and to point things out that may not see in a right. good and a bad way. So in the last two to three years, there's been a shift where agents are getting really lazy. Mm-hmm. And they're just saying, just go to the open house. Yeah. And again, if, you, if you're doing that, what value are you adding as an agent? Zero. And this comes back to the whole thing about teams. Okay. You cannot... First of all, there's some massive teams forming in the South Bay and the West Side and elsewhere. I've already and they're formed. kicking ass. And they're kicking ass. And it's becoming more and more difficult for individuals to compete against them. Right, but Part not. of the reason is right. you can't be everywhere. Let's say you know the old uh, 
adage of, you know, you get an open house, you get a listing, you're going to get a, you know, a buyer from that and maybe another listing. Right. Well, if you have a buyer and you're working at your open house, who is going with your clients you've met from the open house, look at other open houses. Right. And, you know, th that's why teaming up with people is so, so, so important. So let's talk about our teaming up, Alex. Yes, sir. There's a new market we're going, going after. Yes. And it's an area where I grew up. Yeah. So I'm from Los Angeles. I'm one of the few people actually from here. Yes. Um, I sound like I'm from somewhere else, but that the case is I'm from this particular <laughs> community. And I went to high school in that community. I went to grammar school in that community. So in theory, there are hundreds of families I have touched in the mm. first 20 years of my life that I might be able to touch they might, again. They might recognize you. It's possible. It's a long shot, but possible. There's also the fact that in that community, the average home value is three to four million. Mm -hmm. And that's in the lower end. There's right. plenty of properties up in the 10 plus. Right. And aspirationally, you and I both want to go after a higher end market. Yes. And we don't know any better. Mm -hmm. In the South Bay, we know our markets and we kind of get pigeonholed mm -hmm. and pushed out of areas. But one of the benefits of that area, you know, South Bay is kind of a little bit interesting because it's a very uh, incestuous, incestuous. On the real estate front. On the real estate front, you know, okay. kind of, you know. And everyone does get pigeonholed and um, it's just a different kind of market. It's, uh, I think when you get to the west side and other parts of L.A. that it's a little bit more cosmopolitan and there's just a lot more people Right. And a lot more agents, and with few exceptions, you don't see this domination. You know, Very, very, very true, right? You know, and so. so that makes us feel like we have an opportunity. Yeah. And so we're going to investigate it. We're going to invest the money as a team. And if it works, we'll add members to the team who, you know, as Ella said, can take some of that labor away. Right. So if we need somebody to, do, to show an open house mm -hmm. for a client, we have a team member who would do that for us. Right. And if, if that person decides to buy, it's already in the team. It's already in the team, yeah. When we show a house, I'm sorry, when we have our own open houses, a team member does the open house. Well, typically, the, the size of those houses, you're going to have more than one person at the open house. If it's part of the team, it's a great thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And which is, as an aside, I know you like doing it. Sometimes you'll bring in a lender and you'll bring in somebody mm -hmm. else. I don't ever do that because it's always the Blake show. Right. Or the Blake. I only bring I only bring lenders to the brokers open. Okay, great. Okay. We have, okay. To, we have to feed the people showing up. Right, so, so that's a good good point. Yeah. So let, let's talk more about um, how to make money in this business, right? Yes. So I think there's... Work hard. Well, well <laughs> right. So we've, we've said that the phrase, real estate is one of the few businesses that rewards hard work. Mm -hmm. But it's not just that. There's putting your ego in check and arrogance will kill your business. Mm -hmm. And what we see from every newer agent, and newer doesn't isn't, isn't uh, gauged in years. It's gauged in transactions. Mm -hmm. So every newer agent is... There are those who, are, who will kick ass, mm -hmm. and there are those who will languish. Mm -hmm. Is languish a word? Yeah. Okay, good. That sounded strange. So the ones who don't move, you have to look at what are they doing and why are they, they just doing nothing? There's an arrogance that they know better than the pros. Well, there's, you know, the interesting thing about not only real estate agents, but many people involved in sales that are commission-based, is that um, the... Part of what makes any of us successful is, I don't want to say we believe our own BS, but we're very good at forwarding our own agendas. And right. and, and part of that kind of uh, mental arrogance, which in some ways is good, is that we don't listen to the people more successful. Well, we no, that, that's, a, that's a value of, of self-worth, right? You have to yeah. believe in yourself, yeah. which is different than a false sense of who you are, yeah. which is different than an, an, a huge ego that's not 
in check. Right. Which is different than just arrogance. So, you know, when, I, when we talk about, you know, working hard, I, I would say, and this is not directed to anyone on the call because I don't really know what any of you guys do. That's listening to our live call, I should say. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, it's different. But I think that most real estate agents, if they were to write down the amount of time they spend per week on working on real estate right. would be shockingly, shockingly a very low number of hours, like 12 to 15. Right. That the number of people I see working 30 or 40 hours, really working, defining work as doing something you may not want to be doing on real estate is very few people really working 30 or 40 hours. And one of the things is people get into this, they think it's easier than right. it is. And they think that like going to, you know, going to their office meeting might be working. No, it's not necessarily. Talking to their friend who's a realtor might be working. Complaining about their broker or Ellis might be working. But, you know, that's not working. And there's a, there's a um, path that people go on, which is a job. You have to realize this is a job. I got to spend, if I want to make $300,000 a year and I spend uh, 30 or 40 hours a week on it, how much am I making per hour? Right. It's, it's a job. Then you have to look at it as a career if you're doing this long term, and finally as a business. Right. So when Blake, when you speak about you and I going to invest X amount of money in trying to build our brand and team in a different market, that's a business investment. Right. And whether it works out or doesn't work out, it is a business investment. But our egos are big enough that we assume we will have some level of success. Well, I, yes, I, I, my, my ego is big enough that um, I know that what we're doing is going to help me build my business and grow my bottom line in some way that may not be apparent to me today. Right. And that's because one of my core beliefs, and I would recommend people um, research if they like, find out about the things that drive people like myself, that something called... Uh, Psycho Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. And this is a book, okay. this is like the book from the 70s or 80s or 60s even that was a precursor to all the pop psychology of, you know, you know, a, a visualization and mentally. And so I believe, and I don't mind sharing this with everyone because it's out there anyway, that the means whereby you are going to accomplish a goal doesn't have to be totally apparent. You don't have to understand every step. You don't need analysis paralysis. Right. So, um, and Blake is here. If I'm going to pick up my phone here on the desk, I know what I want to do. The goal is to pick up the phone. I do not know what musculature in my arm and wrist and fingers right. are being used to do it. Right. So if you can visualize and experience the outcome and you know the objective, the means whereby filling in all the blanks does not have to be entirely apparent. But that, that applies to like the idea boards and, the, and projections of where you want to go. Yeah, yeah. You don't know how I, you get there. You just say, I want to be there. And eventually you get there because it's your daily mantra. Because you fill in the blanks. Right. And, you know, and sometimes those blanks are different than what you, you know, think they are. But too many people, they have this analysis paralysis. Oh, I can't, uh, you know, do this, that, or the other thing because of X, Y, Z. Right. No. The means whereby you accomplish your goals do not have to be apparent when you start and often the plan changes midstream right but if you know where you want to get you're a lot you know more likely to get there and i think it's incumbent on every agent who's you know in, in this business to 
look at where do you really want to be? Not, you know, not, oh yeah, I want to double pop five listings on the strand next right. year. Let me share with you, unfortunately, it's not going to happen. Will but, not happen. It will not happen. But, uh, and, won't no, what you might get and it won't the, happen for Blake and I either. It won't, okay? but what you might get is the $20 million listing that's worth nine. Right. <laughs> and you have a $20 million listing on the strand that cannot be sold at that price. Yeah. You'll spend money to market it. You'll be so excited you have a $20 million listing, but what is it? It's nothing. It's not it's, exciting money. It's nothing. But I, I, wanna, I, wanna, but I think it's important, right. this just thought, that everyone set for themselves reasonable goals that might be a bit of a stretch that you can attain or a goal you can attain and a stretch goal. Right. I remember years ago, Tom Hopkins, who was the trainer before the Mike Ferries and Tom Ferries, went to one of the Tom Hopkins trainings and he said, if it's not worth writing down, it's not worth doing. And at that time, I started writing down my, my goals every so this year. This is a journal you're doing daily? Uh, I don't know. Just I, I write down my annual goals and I okay. revisit it, and I know what I'm trying to do, and I try to error correct when I'm not on track. And yet, so many people they have this vague idea. They want to be the next Dave Kasky or the next Raju or the next you know guy on million dollar listing or gal, but you know they don't write down a goal you can achieve right. and then achieve it. It's very very empowering. You right. So, well, there, there's an old trick to that which is called the ten ten mm-hmm. or five five. And the 10, 10, let's do the 5-5. Five, five. You write down every day five things that you are grateful for. You remind mm-hmm. yourself that your life is pretty good. Yeah. Because your attitude is seen by everybody you meet. They can tell if you're on target, if you're not. They can tell mm-hmm. when you're happy or sad. And then you write down 10 things you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Every day you start your morning with, the, again, 10-10 is, is hard to do sometimes. 5-5 five, five you can do in your sleep. Five things you want to achieve, five things that you are grateful for. And here's another variation of that. Um, the... Write down your goals as if you've already achieved them in the future. So in other words... Give me an example. Well, if you don't say, my goal is to do 10 transactions a year. Say, my goal is to say, I do 10 transactions a year. And then you describe how you do it. Right. I do 10 transactions a year because I work at real estate uh, 25 hours a week and do one open house a weekend and uh, call 10 people every day. Right. You know, and so instead of saying my goal is to, you start to experience it in the present as if you've achieved it. Very and ri- good. And write it down, do it five minutes Very a day. So I want, as we wind this down, I want to give an example of teams and how they can work. Yes, sir. So Diana started the business in 2003, and she made 200000 her first year. She was one of the top That's great. new agents at Shorewood. She was killing it. And... I decided, well, if she can make 200, I'm going to join her and we'll make 400. What were you doing at the time? I was doing technology marketing. Oh, okay. So I was doing what I've done for my career, which was high tech marketing. Okay. And I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll just, well, 400, that's not a bad salary for the yeah. two of us. So what happened our first year together in the business, 2004? <laughs> we made 200,000. <laughs> so what we did was we didn't divide and conquer. Right. The value of a team is dividing and conquering with people who are who you trust, who have a common goal. The minute we started to divide and conquer and leverage our strengths, we did very well. Yeah, and I would say if anyone's thinking of teaming up with someone, try to team up with someone at a different experience level with different skill sets. One of the mistakes I see people make is two people with the same skill set and the same level of success get together, and that's a recipe for disaster. And, um, you know, it's... And sometimes when you are on a team, there is some friction. Because there's always friction because money's involved. Because money's involved, yeah. And, and there's going to be some friction and people are going to see things differently. But, you know, if you figure out, here's someone I can work with 
and um, we have complementary skills. We're not exactly the same person, but we think the same way, and we can do some division of labor where we do have overlapping skills, then, you know, if someone can save you time and money and increase your reach, I think it's, a, it's great to be a part of a team. Right. I mean, if you look at Ellis and I, we're calling our new company 10 because I'm the zero and he's the one. If you look at it side by side. <laughs> no, we're calling our business uh, BlakeAndEllis.com, powered by peer-to-peer. And again, it's, it should, it's a great example for all of you to see how we're using the brokerage peer-to-peer as the underlying um, component. But then our brand is completely separate. We're, we're, we're creating something totally unique based on us. Yeah. And that's what we think. And we're having a great time in the few well, weeks. Well, do, doing with. some different positioning than peer-to-peer would do as a brokerage. Right. It's, it, well, it's completely different because it's not about peer-to-peer. It's right. about Blake and Ellis. Right, right. So in winding this down, Ellis, we also mentioned making money. Yes. I think the most important thing for making money in this business mm-hmm. is, I think you said it, it's a job. Mm-hmm. You need to think of it as a job. If you were to review yourself today, you're your own boss, right? Give yourself a job review. Write down, okay, Blake, you did these things today. I'm interviewing, I'm I'm sorry, I'm reviewing myself. How would I review myself? Well, hopefully you don't, hopefully none of us give ourselves an A+. You know, along with that, I want to share something about making money. That one of the agents, you know, a lot of agents call me, I kind of sort of mentor and coach a bunch of people. This is not anyone on the call, uh, but someone... Someone called me the other day and going through some something that would be said. I don't want to say he or she, but this person would say to a um, you know a, a prospect, and it was along the line of, "Well, you know, I'm here to assist you," and I kind of ripped the person's head off. It's like, no, you're not there to assist them. You are there to make money, and right. and you know, we often are either too focused on that or too focused on what. We're too focused on making money or too focused on, on customer service. This is not volunteer work in a hospital. Right. We're doing this to make money. I am doing this to make money. Don't ever, ma- don't, ever make make a, don't ever make a mistake about that. I love doing it. I am passionate about this. It is, you know, uh, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing right now. This is how we put food on the table. But this is how I put food on the table. I'm doing this to make money. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, a lo- so you have to have that money mindset. Right. Okay. Perfect. I love it. Okay. So thank you for those who have joined today. Hopefully this was a little bit inspirational for you. I think a great takeaway and a homework assignment for anyone listening, try the, the five, five, five things you're grateful for and five things you want to achieve and do it for the rest of the year. We're in the heat of our season here in, in June. The market will be great for a few months, starts to kind of taper off come September, but now is the time to make money, mm-hmm. sell some stuff, make some things happen. Shake the tree. See what falls out of it. Yeah. Have fun. Have, well, that's the key to all this. Don't let things get under your skin. They will, but don't. This is a fun, fun business that pays amazingly well when you do a great job. So thank you, Ellis, for joining me today for thank you, another Blake, uh, for podcast me. session. And if you have any questions or comments you'd like to tell us, please do either by phone or email. We're always here to assist you. In this instance, yes. (laughs) In this instance, we are here to assist you, correct? Thank you again, and uh, please join us on next week's call. Thank you for joining us today at Peer to Peer Brokers and this week's podcast. Every week we have a new podcast, so please subscribe and join in, and any feedback would be greatly appreciated. 
Have a wonderful and successful week.